known Simon Dale now for seven or eight years and when I first met him he expressed an interest in doing an MBA and when he got to hear about the SAP Masters in leading sales transformation he jumped at the opportunity because it was something that clearly related to his uh, career path. He's always been a great advocate of professionalizing sales, uh, not only completing the leading and sales transformation masters with uh, distinction, uh, but also in supporting some of the activities in the region connected with the whole topic of professionalizing sales. Since uh, SAP, he's gone on in his career and uh, he's now the managing director of Adobe in Southeast Asia. So he had a super successful career. And it's uh, it's a great privilege that Simon is with us on this podcast. Okay, so Simon, thanks so much for taking part in this Mastercast. It's uh, no great. Problem. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> the way we typically start the Mastercast is just by getting to understand you a, a little bit better as a person. So, um, and I realised that I haven't. I, well, I, actually, I, I do know a little bit about your background and how you ended up, obviously, with SAP and then on with Adobe. But I wonder if you could just do a short intro of yourself. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, originally from the UK, and I studied computer science in the Midlands. When I graduated, I was a programmer for about five years. And then I met all these people who sold things and thought, that looks fun. So I went and joined the software company and was in the pre-sales role through three different very early stage ventures uh, based in the UK covering Europe. And then in 2001, SAP acquired a company I was working for and I moved to Singapore. And I've been out here since then. I spent 16 of those years with SAP and two years after that with a big data company. I'm now the managing director of Adobe for the Southeast Asia region. That's, uh, that's an incredible um, trajectory, I would say, you know, from, from those early days in the UK. And um, of course, I suspect you feel uh, sort of more Singaporean than you do British. Is that, is that right? Or <laughs> Well, my wife's Australian and okay. my kids kind of claim both nationalities, <laughs> so it depends. But yeah. I uh, very much consider this home and, and very much enjoy being here. Yeah, brilliant. Great. So um, you decided to embark on the master's program. I was looking at the date of your dissertation, actually. It was 2015, but you must it have was. joined that 2012, I think it was, cohort uh, yeah. as being one of the, the pioneers. Could I just ask you briefly, why did you do it? You were clearly very successful in your job. I think you were on the management board, was it, of SAP at the time? Yeah, I've been, I've been on the leadership team of, of SAP in Asia for, by then, 12 years. And um, I, I, it had been 25 years since I graduated. And for a few years, I'd been thinking about higher level learning. But... When you work for a company like SAP, you've kind of done most of the things that an MBA would teach you. And I was thinking, well, I'd much rather look for something more specific. And because I was in a sales role and 
I met you and you talked about the sales masters. I'm perfect. This, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. It all ticks the boxes, right? It would give me a qualification in a career path I've chosen and it would be a high level learning next academic level. You know, I was, uh, I'm just saying 25 years and I'm like, there must be something new in the world that I should be learning. And it all came together at the same time. Well, that's been brilliant and a privilege uh, to have um, someone with your sort of background on that first program. Um, Ooh, that was great. So let's, let's hone in now on, you know, you went through a year of doing different modules of the masters and then for your project which i'm just going to read it out you know here for the benefit of the uh, listeners is impacting salesperson performance by engaging them on their own learning journey to transform their own practice so i suppose my first question is why did you choose that particular subject yeah so it was for me when i chose to learn Right, this, this, as I said, this higher level. Um, it was it was self-selection, and of course, we all get sales training throughout our careers. But when, in particular, what helped me a lot during the master's study, and and because it was a work-based learning study, of course, we were practicing this all the time. But what helped me significantly was the coaching module that we did, and that sort of got me thinking about, well, I've I've self-selected into this right and i discovered this learning opportunity but when i look at how sales training was rolled out in, inside sap and i talked to friends about how it was done at other companies it was usually training is identified and people managers are asked who should go on the training and then salespeople are selected and sometimes that would be inefficient and i thought wouldn't it be good if you could make more salespeople aware of some topics, both which they would, would benefit from, but also maybe not the core sales topics that you would usually come across. And coaching was one. Why, why should a salesperson learn to coach? Normally it's sales managers that are taught coaching and managers in, in organizations. But my other two topics around change management stakeholder engagement i thought were extremely relevant at least in the software industry and now i think now digital transformation is everywhere it, it was barely started back then but when you think about the massive amount of transformation that's going on in all industries now change management is everywhere and an understanding of change management as a salesperson i think is necessary you know, you're selling into change, you're selling change. And in order to make your version of change stick, you need stakeholder engagement. And that was why those three topics for me were really important. And I thought, well, normally salespeople wouldn't think about those three things in the context mm. of selling. And if I enlighten them to those three opportunities in the context of selling, maybe they will see value in them and then they will go on and engage in deeper learning with it. You know, it's interesting you mentioned coaching, yet um, coaching wasn't part of your title. You know, I quite, I quite like the way you said impacting sales performance by engaging them on their own learning journey. Mm. But clearly there's a connection between 
getting their buy-in to a learning journey and coaching. So, uh, you know, I, it, it's, a, it's a slightly different slant, I would say, on coaching. Perhaps it is, or perhaps it isn't. Yeah, it was. It, it's good that you pick up on that because I think people abuse the word coaching, right? We learn that when we learn what coaching really is. Yeah? Um, and, and in a lot of organizations, salespeople are supposed to be coached when it's actually a performance issue, right? And, and people use this sporting analogy. Now, uh, professional coaching, you, you can't really associate with that, right? Done properly. Mm. And so it was this link between really understanding what the topic could do to impact their sales practice, making them aware of that. And then if they want to go deep into learning coaching in depth, and engage on that part of the learning journey, that's great. That's a good outcome for me. But it was more that um, a lot of salespeople wouldn't come across and think of coaching as a sales tool for themselves. And that's in conjunction with the other two. I thought that would be something good to prove and also to prove that if they see value, they then self-select to go and learn those things to improve their practice. So it's very interesting. I, th I think it's a very interesting slant. So your approach was not so much on how to be a coach. It's more about how coaching, how a coaching mindset could be used to help you develop your sales practice. Yeah, because if you think about change management, some people need you, you, you can apply coaching to get people to change because coaching is about habits right it's about breaking habits creating new habits changing behavior when you dig into changing behavior a lot of it is about habits now requires you to also change habits so change management is about changing the behavior of organizations so when you look at those, there's a commonality between coaching and change management in some respects. And then the stakeholder engagement dimension comes in because people are involved and stakeholders need to all be aligned to get change to happen as well. So there's this triumvirate of, of capabilities, mm. which I thought if you're selling into change projects or you're selling innovation, which requires change, those three things can be very powerful when brought together. So I think your, your concept is very innovative. Um, like you said at, at the beginning, it's not something that you would typically see on a sales curriculum now, for salespeople. You would for managers, but yes. not for salespeople, how to become a better coach. You know, you think, well, yeah. And I, I also really liked one of the quotes that you picked up in your dissertation about coachability as well you know how coachable are salespeople if they don't have a mindset that they are open to be coached then i guess you fall down at that very first stage so. yes indeed and it was quite interesting that that soon after i i did my dissertation and project sap actually invested heavily in getting people certified to be coaches and not just managers they they opened it up to a wide range of people realizing that having a lot of coaches in the organization who can apply their skills to any part of the organization was of value. That's great. So I think, I think we have a pretty clear idea about 
what you're exploring. You chose these three topics of kind of coaching, stakeholder management, and change management. Um, were these your sort of almost like a hypothesis that you wanted to test whether or not these ideas were going to work? Um, or were you influenced in any way by any of the literature research that you did or uh, conversations you might have had? Um, I, I think I, I came to this hypothesis myself through the experience that I had because I was always, always responsible for bringing new businesses into Asia Pacific. So I was always bringing change. And these three things I saw as the necessary skills I needed to build in order to effectively get my change programs executed and make them sustainable. And, and if you delve into the depths of um, my previous modules in uh, the projects that I did, my specific study of change management wasn't change management in general. It was how do you make change sustainable? Because I'd studied change management like the 10 years previously. Back then, it was what is change management? What's the process? But after 10 years, the literature had progressed quite a bit. And the biggest problem was a lot of change projects fail. So during my master's, I decided to go, well, okay, what, what, what's, how do you make change sustainable? Have people learned more now? Is there more? And there was. You know, even Cotter, who's my core text, had actually published a new book called Accelerate on how do you make change stick, right? And what's the secret of success and mm -hmm. so on. And so that part for me was the connection back to this theme of there's more and more change going on. You need to be able to engage with executives. If we're B2B complex selling, right? You, you've got to bring value. You've got to get more consultative. We can talk about challenger selling, all that kind of stuff. And being able to talk to them about their change program being able to talk to them about how they're aligning stakeholders in their change program. And then if the champions you're dealing with or the stakeholders you're helping them to deal with are resistant to the change, that's where you can practice some of your coaching skills, right? To try and get those people to change. Mm -hmm. So it was that kind of past experience and combination that I thought, I think these three things are really useful for salespeople and being able to take those three and apply them in their practice, I would love to see salespeople agree with me, right? And that was my hypothesis. Mm. They're brilliant. So you've mentioned Cotter, and as, as someone that was a big influencer in, in the sense of sort of models that Cotter has for change, were there any other, um, were there any other books or writers that actually helped you you know, as you started to to look at the topics? Yes, um, there was, when I was looking at coaching, there's a massive amount of literature on coaching. And uh, when we did the coaching module, we were given quite a bit of literature to read. But I, I like simple things that are easy to remember and start with. And particularly if we're talking about introducing people to the topic of coaching, you don't want overly complex methodologies that you need to study and, and, and remember lots and lots of different things. So the one that really helped me was Whitmore um, and the GROW model. 
that Whitmore has developed and mm -hmm. talks about because it's easy to remember, it's easy to apply, and you don't really have to remember the depths of every step. You just have to remember what GROW stands for and you can follow the process. And I wasn't looking and I wasn't expecting salespeople to become professionally certified coaches who really need to, to run coaching perfectly. I was looking for people to learn coaching techniques. And if they chose to go deeper, great, but at least to understand the principles of coaching and how they can apply them in their practice. And I found the Whitmore text and the grow model to be very, very useful for that. So that that's the coaching one. And then on the stakeholder engagement one, that was actually one of my most challenging areas on um, look out at stakeholder literature. A lot of it is actually public sector stakeholder management and talks about sustainability and a lot, a lot of topics that are um, not really in the space of what I was looking for was selling, right? So I actually ended up coming across this book by Trentin, um, Managing Stakeholders as Clients. It's actually a project management book, um, uh, but it's rich with how you manage stakeholders to get a project forward and, and you know, all the challenges that you have. And it even talks about selling, uh, in there, which which was fantastic. It's, it's published by the Project Management Institute, but it's actually got topics in there about selling and project management. So, and its key tenet was how do you manage these stakeholders? So that for me was a nice surprising find. That's brilliant. Well, thank you, Simon. So, um, so we've talked about books that influenced you, and uh, w what I found really interesting about your particular project was that you clearly thought quite a bit about who you wanted to take part in your research. And um, you also wanted to have the ability to contrast and compare you know, the results that you might be getting from your approach with your target audience, with business as usual, if you like. Um, mm. So I wonder if you could just talk through the strategy that you adopted in terms of doing the research, testing your hypothesis, um, for the benefit of the listeners. Sure. Um, so first of all, in identifying my candidates, um, I, I thought, well, okay, there's over 500 salespeople in SAP in Asia Pacific. So how do I go about identifying an easy group to deal with? And talking to our sales enablement teams, there was a, a program that SAP was running for high-performing salespeople. And I thought, well, okay, at least that, that's a group of people who are identified and are engaged on some kind of learning. So maybe I can ask the person running that, hey, can I ask for some volunteers from your group? And, and they agreed to that. And I went out and, and polled a few people and I got five volunteers from that group. Um, it was quite good because then it gave me a peer group and it gave me tiers of peer groups. So I had my volunteers then I had the, the uh, what's called Academy to Action, this group. So there was the broader group of these high performers that they belong to. And then there was the general sales team across Asia Pacific. So I had three, well, two wider groups to benchmark my group against. And I, I, I was, at the time, I'd also been doing a lot of business intelligence selling, and I knew a lot about like, the data side of the business. And I thought it'd be great if I could 
think about the, the, the data science side of this. It was, it was more analytics, people call it data science these days. But um, I was like, is there something there? And there was also, because SAP had a CRM system, there was in the sales operations function, a um, big area of performance, and there was a whole collection of KPIs. I thought, wow, okay, great. So I now have my volunteer group, their, their high performing peer group, and then everybody else. I can then go and get the stats in these groups as the starting point. And I can take those stats at the end of my project and have an empirical result. That was one part of my proof. And then the other part was I'll also then go and interview their managers at the beginning and interview their managers at the end. And I'll also interview the sales enablement people who've already sort of analyzed these people and who were going to do it at the end of my project. So I had these various measurements that I could bring from the beginning and end of my project. And then I executed my project, it was over three months. I ran specific sessions on my three topics. <clears throat> Each one, I do it in depth. And then I'd follow up with individual conversations with the people to go deeper into the topics, to see if it had, they'd understood it. And if they were unclear on anything or if they wanted to go deeper with some literature or anything like that. So I, I was very hands-on, but also I'd set up these measurement programs at the beginning to be able to come back to and have some data rather than me just theorizing about my own personal experience. I could have both qualitative as well as quantitative data from various sources. And that was how I joined all the dots up to come up to my conclusions at the end. I think from our experience of looking at different master's projects, it's it's unusual, I would say, particularly with larger organizations to find someone who has access to that quantitative data. And I think what was so, so interesting about your project was to see that part of it form, um, you know, part of your assessment, as you say, sort of connecting the dots and to be able to go back. Wait, wait, I mean, three months isn't a long time. You know, so you were in a way putting your research at risk because mm. you had to, well, you, you were going to measure the result after three months, write it up, and that was your dissertation. So could you tell me a little bit about your feelings as you were going through the journey and, 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 and maybe some of the challenges you had with some of the cohort of interviewees? Yeah, so a um, couple of questions there to, to focus on, right? The, on the data side of things, Yes, I was probably a bit too ambitious in thinking that I would get noticeable results in the data. But I also wanted to see if it was possible to, given I was doing it on a work-based learning sense, I also wanted to see if I could get the SAP sales ops team to buy into my idea mm -hmm. and use it in their own practice, right? So I was also sort of, again, stakeholder engagement, right? Just saying, hey, I'll help you and maybe you'll take my idea and run with it. Um, so there was that part. And yes, it, I didn't see any noticeable data in the results that I could attribute my project to, but there were noticeable differences. So my group's KPIs improved statistically sig significantly better than their cohort and the broader sales community. I concluded that these people, because they'd volunteered for my project, 
were the higher performers in their peer group. Okay, and so they might have they were going to <laughs> they were going to get good results anyway. Is they were going to get really good results anyway. <laughs> yes. So, but but the fact that they decided that they were up for extra learning and extra projects to develop themselves was an indicator of that. Okay, so they had a what we would call a growth mindset. You know, they yeah. they had that approach. But I don't know. Perhaps you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice uh, <laughs> in your in your claim. But it's uh, yeah. But it's 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 very difficult. I can understand to attribute you know specific. But on the qualitative was, side, yeah, I got a lot more validation. Okay, what I, so what I was you... doing. Yes. Yeah. So so on the qualitative side, interviewing their managers, interviewing the uh, sales academy leader who was observing their behaviors and changes and so on. And, and from the individuals themselves, uh, everybody found value in my program. And uh, three of the five volunteers went on their own learning journeys in some of the topics, not all three, but a couple. And the managers definitely saw an improvement in the areas that I was bringing to their attention and, and trying to teach them, right, in that short period of time. So they, that was enough of feedback on the qualitative side to give me confidence that I've had an impact on these individuals and given them something of value. Yeah, no, that's, it, it, it really is a great story. And you had quite a, you had a culturally diverse group as well, from what I can remember. I think you had some from Australia, maybe some from Singapore, Thailand. Yeah, I, I, had, I had a lady from Malaysia, a lady from Thailand, a lady from Singapore and two guys from Australia. And did you notice any difference at all, you know, according to their sort of cultural background? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, there was, there was. And, and it, it came out actually, I'd, I'd say their learning styles are very different and their engagement levels. So in the, I, I did these group sessions and then I did the individuals. And so culturally, of course, uh, Australians are quite happy to share and speak up and then the Asians always more conservative, right? So, so I had to use my um, time to think learnings on getting people to contribute and making an inclusive discussion. So differences there. But on the individual basis, there was less difference in people engaging with the topics and asking. Um, I, uh, I did find, though, that there was a, a little bit of a side benefit from the whole thing was that they're not something that I'd expected to find, but I observed this and then validated it with each of the, the members of, of the volunteer group, was that they, as we were talking in our sessions, I asked them to share an example based on the topic that we were talking about. And when they shared those, what I call war stories, suddenly the, the mood changed and the level of engagement changed. And you could tell that, that now, people were talking at the same level about things that really motivated them, which was how do you get a deal done, right? And how do you learn from somebody who's got a really good deal done? And so that was an observation that I picked up and I, I did in the end document and call out that uh, this, there wasn't enough of that salesperson to salesperson war story sharing going on for people to learn from each other. And that was actually called out by several of them that they, when it happened, they loved it, but it didn't happen often enough. Mm. Uh, and that was a message that I wrote about to just sales managers everywhere. You should take more time out for people who've achieved something 
just to talk about the ins and outs of, of the warts and all story so other people can go oh it's not just me or wow that's a great idea i'll try that in my next one salesperson to salesperson that level of exchange the peer-to-peer exchange turned out to be quite a nugget that they all took a lot of value from that's great since you've done the project simon has this kind of interest remained uh, you know you've you've gone through different career iterations uh, and if so has your thinking expanded or has it reconfirmed what you were doing then it it would be great to yeah get some insights from you as to sort of how you've used this to help you perhaps in other roles that yeah. you've had since then yeah sure um definitely in terms of all three i'd say the one that is is super useful very powerful is the coaching that i learned and and how i apply that even to today and many many times and um, people love the fact that i i practice it as much as i can and uh, in, in the way that i was i was learning on the masters to do it and people get a lot of value from that um Change management, as I said earlier, right, I think is just as important as ever, as ever if not more important, just disruption, digital transformation and agility or whatever you call it, right? If, if you can understand the process of change management or where you are in the process or where your customer is in the process, you're more likely to be able to find a path to align with the customer and then take them further, further as a salesperson. And that's just, it's a given, right? And the stakeholder engagement topic, it was a personal topic because I saw it as a gap in my own performance that I could manage down, I could manage out, but managing upwards was being a, a, a compromise for me. It had slowed me down in my career. And that's why I studied it. And I found benefit in that. And it certainly has helped me since in terms of managing stakeholders for myself, but also in my business and going higher and aiming higher to engage with stakeholders at a different level. That's a, that's a great story. If there are sort of, well, I think that clearly there's some sort of amazing takeaways, perhaps not just from your um, project, but, but maybe generally about some of the things that, that you've taken away from your experience of reflection and you know doing the masters and doing the project you know are there sort of key takeaways in addition to the topics that you've mentioned with stakeholder management you know coaching and change are there any other sort of side themes that for you have really uh, sort of helped you develop in your approach to your roles and so on yeah, I'd say the one thing that, that I did pick up on and that I practice more, and particularly in the role that I'm in now is with quite a large group of people, right, who could, I need to get them focused and optimized on execution, is the selection of salespeople for learning interventions. I'm, I'm very strong with our enablement team. When they ask me, to run training courses for the salespeople. I will absolutely mandate that it has to be calculated to be relevant for the sales individual. So if it's a product training, my question would be, is this product 
appropriate for them to sell in their territory? If not, why do they need the training? And I don't think people have asked those questions enough in the past. Mm. There's been, hey, there's this training, it's mandatory, everybody's got to do it, whether it's relevant or not, right? Um, and I think that mindset, and it's the critical mindset that we were taught in the first module of the masters, which I remember a lot of us got frustrated with, but we got there in the end, <laughs> um, yeah. being taught how to think and learn again, right? You learn how you learn, learn how to learn. Um, but uh, that for me to question an intervention and qualify that intervention, it sounds simple, but in sales enablement, it's not done enough. And if it was done more optimized enablement and interventions mm. and salespeople would respond to them better. They would know that if it's thought through and there's a real reason why they should be there, then they're more likely to engage with it. And it's more likely to stick and more likely to deliver an impact. Brilliant. Well, I think that probably rounds off what I'd hope to cover with you, Simon. I, um, it's, been, uh, it's been amazing for me to get back, back into the topic. And actually, uh, doing these masterclasses has made me realize it's, uh, it's an underutilized asset, you know, the work that people have done. Um, and I'm sure it's going to have an effect in some way on how we might approach, um, you know, sales development initiatives moving forward. You know, the topics that you've raised. And, mm. and uh, as you say, it is, is, it's not a common uh, kind of theme, right? You're going to go on a sales training course and uh, this is about coaching. Uh, they'll probably get stakeholder management because they have to yeah. do a lot of that. They may not see change in the same way, though. Mm. Yeah, so um, I think it's a fascinating topic. And thanks so much for sharing it with us. It's been brilliant. Oh, thanks for the opportunity again. It's been good to, <laughs> to bring it up out of my history and talk about it again. <laughs> so what's your selling approach like? Are you selling in a way that your customers want to be sold to? From our research, only 10% of salespeople sell in a way that customers want. But what do customers want when they're being sold to? It's no secret that here at Consalia, we've embedded the sales values and mindsets that customers want to see in salespeople into everything we do, from our sales business school through to our sales transformation offering. So how do you know whether or not you've got them? We have a very simple mindset survey to see if you possess these key values. It's really straightforward to use, will only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll be sent your results straight after. You may be just a bit surprised at the results yourself. Check out the show notes at the end of this podcast episode. What you do with the results next is your choice. We're happy to dive deeper into these results to discuss what they mean, or even explore the idea of finding out if your customers see these key values in your approach.